Hi, I'm Rachel Dillon, and together with my husband, Marcus Dillon, we lead Who's Really the Boss podcast, where we highlight the joys and challenges of running a business with your spouse or family. Our mission is to strengthen families and businesses by helping listeners avoid the mistakes we have made so they can lead and live happily ever after. Welcome back to Who's Really the Boss podcast. Hey, thanks for having me back. All right, today we're talking all about expectations. So would you say that you have realistic expectations or idealistic expectations? Depends on the situation. So um, probably most uh, unrealistic uh, when it comes to things, especially on things that you uh, stew over in your mind, uh, become unrealistic whenever they actually happen. Yeah. I like to think that I'm a realist, but my expectations are, I feel like kind of off the charts in yeah. many areas. I have this picture in my mind of how things should be. And when they're not that way, it really throws me for a loop. So, yeah, the best service providers uh, set a low, a low bar and uh, what is it under promise and over deliver uh, mm-hmm. whenever you can. That's not every relationship, unfortunately, but it's one where if you can do that in different areas of life, you'd probably be uh, better for it. Yeah. So talking through um, expectations, because I think mismanaged expectations or unrealistic unrealized expectations are the source of most people's frustration. Yeah. Um, it's just mismanaged and miscommunicated where the timeline or the results, like, like I said, if you got too much in your head and are just thinking about something constantly, uh, it's just not going to be good. Yeah, and let's, I mean, something that's super common are like weight loss expectations because you see it on magazines, on TV, on social media, 20 days, you know, and these dramatic results, or you do this, uh, take one pill and dramatic results. And so you have this idea or this expectation in your head that, well, if it worked for them, that it's going to work for me. And so... I think on that, you have to decide what, you know, what you're going to believe and who is going to bring that back to reality for you. Yeah. Uh, weight loss is a great kind of op- like not option, but just thought along that same vein, um, weight loss, but also building muscle. Uh, you know, that's the other one where like, you know, get fit and get, cause weight loss isn't necessarily building muscle. And I think you, you see the person with the, uh, abs and the muscles and the vascular and knowing what we know now that can happen in a matter of days, weeks, months, years, sometimes. And I think that picture you're describing is what people think when they say I want to lose 10 pounds, they think that these muscles are going to blow up from I don't know where um, and that that's the aesthetic that they're going to achieve. But it's really having somebody who can come in and share 
you know, how it's really going to go and set a better expectation. Um, yes, that's definitely communication in there. Um, and who's, you know, taking responsibility for communicating what's really going to happen so that you have the right expectations for the long-term result. Well, I think it's uh, communication, but it's also experience. So I think experience is valuable to set the right expectation for those situations. And obviously in different aspects where you're building up a desired result in your mind and the expectation can be miscommunicated or misaligned with the path to get to that result having the experience or idea of what that really takes to get to that end result is valuable. Yeah. So some, let's take it into the business owner scenario. So some of the areas that business ownership, there's a lot of expectations or a lot of thoughts that people have going into it that they start to learn real quickly or start to get frustrated, upset, feelings of failure, that it's not working right, this isn't right, this isn't going the way I thought it would go. Um, What are some areas that business owners that we talk with, or even just ourselves, where those expectations are wrong from the beginning? So if I had to summarize it with one word, it would be resources. Um, And I think you go back to financial resources, and I think you go back to time resources as kind of both of those areas. Financial resources, I'm going to start my own business and out of the gate, all I'm going to do is go to the bank and make deposits. Like, you know, like that's, that's what everybody hopes and what they're sold potentially by others. Um, that is false. And behind every business owner making a trip to the bank or making a mobile deposit, there's a ton of work that goes into that. And so uh, cash flow is so uh, precious uh, to small businesses. And that's where it's like, you have to build up that momentum, build up through different things, whether it's discipline or a variety of different things to kind of get to that point where it is a reality and it's not a misaligned expectation or anything like that. The other is time. So a lot of people think that, hey, I'm going to go into business for myself and just work less. And I'll work half days and yeah, that's true, but you pick which 12 hours out of 24 you want to work. (laughs) Um, So I think the two main ones that we see are financial and time resources that are precious in all aspects of life, but can be misaligned from the very beginning. I think some that have been recent for us, even being business owners for over a decade um, that have come up are how quickly a new team member is going to be able to not just assimilate into our culture, but also to be able to be independent um, and gain efficiencies within their role. Yeah, and you go back to experience. So because now we've got over a decade of experience like with us, but then all the years of experience that we're able to see across peers, mentors, clients, and and take that knowledge and apply it to ourselves. All of that experience, we know now we have to stick to a a timeline, those time resources. 
And we know that within the first month, what that month needs to look like. And it's going to be a, you shadow me and watch me do it. The second month, I'm going to shadow you, watch you do it. And then the third month is independent play. Mm -hmm. And if they do not, if they do not get it by the end of month three within that 90 days, that is not a fit. And every time we personally have extended that timeline, it's come back to bite us and it won't bite us within the next week or month. It comes back like a year after the fact. And it's because we didn't set the right expectations, didn't do the right training, didn't fill in the right gaps from the very beginning. And we set that person up for failure. Yeah. And I know that this was uh, even a a transition or a learning curve for us because we had to learn from being in office in person physically together and hiring new team members training new team members to what that looks like being fully remote to hiring remotely and training a hundred percent remotely and what did that timeline look like and what we've found is that's where that three months is so for us with that remote training that three months is really where we have to kind of draw the line and say yes this is a fit or no this isn't a fit what we also know is at 90 days they're not perfect (laughs) they don't know every single thing about every single one of our clients or every you know, piece of technology that we use, but they know enough. They've internalized the value system that we have and they know how to get answers to questions or they know how to use resources to find answers for clients, whatever it might be. Um, It's the ones who can't get to that point that we see a bigger problem. Um, I think realistic expectation, still closer to six months for someone to be to to start building their own efficiencies within their role yeah it also have to you have to look at the cyclical nature of your business as well so if what we're the one that we kind of defaulted to are the people that we hire the most which are csms bookkeepers uh, accountants that are doing things on a monthly basis so that monthly cadence makes sense because you have three closeouts and three opportunities to do the two different shadows and then the independent. If you are another role, let's say a client CFO, maybe you're only doing a quarterly, like you just have to align those expectations based on the role. And maybe you've only got annual projects. So it takes a while to really gain comfort. I would say no matter what the cadence of your business is, you have to align those expectations the right way from the beginning and based off your experience or the experience of others use that in sticking to to that timeline that you've set yeah another area which i think we tried to base that same timeline off of was new clients assimilating to our processes on onboarding um, and just becoming from a business owner perspective becoming a profitable engagement and so Talk a little bit about what that looks like um, that we found is not the same timeline as a new team member. So yeah, that's a tricky one. So with um, taking things, you have to have data to build off of. So with that, you have to look at everything that you're doing 
for that client relationship and what fits within the scope that you've been engaged to do. Or if, if things are outside of that scope, do you have the skill set and the desire to continue doing those things for that client? So identify that first. That's based on actual data with what you're doing. Um, second is the conversation to actually increase scope if you do want to continue. If you don't want to continue and you don't feel you have the skill set too, you need to make a referral or something else, like have a bigger conversation with that client because that could come back to bite you. And ultimately, if you're not the best equipped person or team to do that, you need to do that sooner rather than later after you've identified it. So being unprofitable, that should just allow you to identify where gaps are, where things aren't working well. And the action you take as a leader is, is really those second steps to actually make an improvement, both in profitability of it by increasing scope or no longer doing those services. Mm-hmm. And increasing scope could just be a price increase. And so those are the other pieces to kind of keep in mind. Yeah, and I know for us, a new client, um, after we're engaged, then implementation starts, so onboarding starts. So that first month, we actually do charge an implementation fee because there is a lot, anybody who's ever onboarded a new client in any industry, um, but definitely in accounting for bookkeeping, payroll, sales tax, tax returns, advisory, there's a lot that goes into um, learning the history of that client and setting up better processes, um, reviewing prior information, prior year tax return to make sure that it was optimized, that all opportunities were taken advantage of. Um, So we know that first month is doing a lot of digging and setting up new rules, setting up new processes. Um, The second month is really carrying out the function that our team does. So almost like uh, trial and error or test the process. Uh, The third month we're refining. So it's like, okay, we know in the first three months there's going to be more time spent for that new client. And then by that fourth month, we need to start really seeing about that price did did we price it correctly um and i would say most of the time yes and so that's good but then we need to start looking for efficiencies or where can we make the client experience better where can we bring more value like where are we bringing value to this client and that's really you know by month four (laughs) we got to bring it well and during that first 90 days of that client relationship because you know of all of those things you listed that uh, the additional time and value that's going to be added to that client relationship and then that first 90 days you charge for it like that is an investment to become a client and to get served um, by our team so all of that kind of has to make sense with the the scope and the value you bring to the client because we were at a point where we were not charging for onboarding we were not kind of having this kickoff engagement and we were losing enough like we didn't need any new clients because we were losing so much money on them (laughs) that we would never uh make that back in opportunity cost to serve other people within our own business already and so that's where you kind of keep coming back to um does it make sense? And if it doesn't address the issue? Yeah. So what are some 
expectations that people should have. And again, staying along the lines of business. Everybody wants to grow. Most people want to grow a business. They start a business to grow it. They have some revenue marks in mind um, and human nature. We just want to get there as fast as possible. So what are some realistic expectations people should have with wanting to grow super fast at the fastest rate possible? Uh, It can be done, but what's your pain tolerance? Mm -hmm. And so that amount of growth, if you're looking to double your revenue and team and business size year over year, are you ready for that ride and everything that comes along with it as far as the stress, the hours that go into that, the investment from a capital perspective, because as you grow a team, the revenue doesn't show up in the same um, time frame that the payroll does. And I think those are all the pieces that you have to go into that season prepared and ready, you have to align your expectations um, to what that life really looks like. And so if you are just looking for a more gradual pace of growth, let's say 15 to 20% per year, as opposed to 100% of growth per year, that can be a little bit easier to digest and not as big of a cash flow outlay for the, the future. Yeah. And something that we have firsthand experience with, we definitely have experience with growth and and growing fast. We merged in a firm and grew overnight. Um, And that's how we know. We have the experience of the pain that came with that, that we didn't necessarily plan for. We planned for the, how can we not be better together? We didn't plan for um, some of the, harder parts of that, which was having a bigger team, having bringing two cultures together that were completely different, bringing two cultures of clients together and assimilating one that was used to doing things very physically, like in person, um, still highly, highly relational, but everything, physical paper, in-person meetings, um, just a lot of face-to-face time to a very much digital paperless um, environment and it it was hard it was hard for the clients it was hard for the team Uh, it was hard for us and so um, it was very different so we definitely have experience with that but I think something else that we have a lot of experience with is transforming our firm from that big, high volume, high volume of clients, high volume of team members to more of, I guess what you call it, like a lifestyle firm um, that then we gradually grew back to what we once had. Yeah. And that was all of these growth trajectories are individual choices. And so I think given the season of life that we were in, we made the decisions that we made. Um, Those may be different for other people given the season of life that they're in or what they are building. If they are building something with the intention to sell in a certain amount of time and they have a shorter runway. But for us, it was the balance of growth and lifestyle. So um, the, you know, the main points with aligning expectations there that you also have to speak into or the team and the clients that you did mention is the 
expectations matching their experience. And then there's not a disconnect in those as well, because if expectations are only in the owner's mind and something else is happen happening internally with the team or externally with the clients, like that's also misalignment that needs to be addressed. Yeah. So we um, transformed our kind of high volume annual only touch points of tax returns uh, firm into a high value, highly relational monthly touch points or more. Some some are like every week that we're interacting with a lot of our clients. Every week we interact with them in some form. And so what are some of the expectations realistic from our experience, realistic expectations that um, say another accounting firm owner should have if they want to take it from that annual revenue with the annual engagements that are probably more compliance related to the advisory services. Yeah, some some expectations are uh, that you you have to communicate and feel like you are over communicating with those clients and team members. Annual, uh, you know, that once a year touch point, once a year engagement, you can kind of fall back to the, hey, we'll get you out in two to three weeks. We'll return your call later this week. When someone's spending money with your office once a month, you can't do that. And especially if you're doing things like payroll and helping guide their leadership team on financial decisions, time is of the essence on a lot of that. And so the, the, more timely financial data and financial conversations you have with a client, that's where you bring the value. That's where value matches the price you charge, essentially. And that availability is what people pay for in, in today's world. So I think managing those expectations of what value you're bringing to the relationship, that is completely different on a monthly basis than a once a year annual volume relationship. The piece on the volume relationship as well. What we've come to learn is you can have a bad client or a bad fit or a bad fee and recover from it. No problem. But if you have a bad client, a bad price structure, a bad fit in a monthly relationship, you need to address it like sooner rather than later because the team structure is just, it's not designed for that. And you don't, you don't want to keep losing money on an engagement that you priced the wrong way or the scope was so out of alignment that you just didn't know that whenever they were a prospect. And those are some of the pieces that I, I would encourage people to look for if they are transitioning from annual relationships to monthly is make sure that you priced it the right way. Make sure that your, your touch points are scheduled and not reactive and uh, make sure that you have the right team equipped because a team will just have more availability for touch points than one person. And so if you're, if you're you know, employing a team and delegating things, you're able to multiply touch points that much better. What can people expect from a lot of times the reason to move from the high volume annual projects that are deadline driven to a more advisory service is hours worked. What should the expectation be, say, year one of the transition to like year five of the transition? Um, what's kind of the continuum that people could expect from hours worked? Yeah, hours worked first year when you're making that transition, you're probably going to work more. 
<laughs> you're going to have more inputs than you are, you know, outputs essentially. So, um, how you modify that based on the structure of your team from year one to year five is based on what you like, how fast you want to evolve. And if you are able to evolve faster at a pace that's faster than others, then by year five, yeah, it, it will be drastically different as far as time inputs, but you're likely with any implementation project, regardless if it's technology, team structure, new clients, you're always going to spend more time on the front end and invest in that relationship with the client, invest in processes and putting the right things in place, the building blocks for long-term success. And you're, you're going to see returns probably mid-year two and uh, through year five, it's really going to be running really, really smooth. Uh, the useful life of a client is about seven years in, a, in an accounting firm. And so um, just keep that in mind as well. And so if you're trying to get the best return on investment possible over those seven years, you want to heavily weigh that toward the front end. And the way that you do that is build up a team to do the right amount of onboardings at the right time and structure that onboarding cycle. So it's constant versus just all in at one time and there's a bottleneck. So definitely for us, by year two and year three, we definitely saw a drop off in hours worked from our team, but not necessarily year one. And that didn't mean that it doesn't work or it's failing. It just meant that we had to, we didn't want to completely scrap our business and start over. We wanted to slowly transition. So we trans transitioned clients that were no longer a fit at a slow pace, at a manageable pace, um, which brings to the next point, expectations of revenue. Yeah. What can people expect, again, like a year one to five as they're transitioning from a revenue perspective when going from a lot of tax work to, or even maybe audit work to full advisory. Yeah. So you're, you're one, um, during the transition, unless you're able to like sell your firm and just build a new one, <laughs> like it's going, you're going to have some, some of those annual clients will spill over into as you're building out the monthly. And that's where you really have to get your handle hands around the time because for a while, for a season, you're, you're serving both in two different service models. And as you continue to transition, hopefully by year two or three, you're just doing less annual clients, less annual touch points. So the culling has to begin before year one. If you're able to monetize anything, whether it's whole firm or portion of the firm, then that block that you've monetized is essentially the gap in profit for year one. So your top line revenue will likely decrease because you've exited or sold off clients to make room for capacity for the new service line you want to embrace. So top line revenue will decrease, but hopefully cash flow is there if you've monetized a client block and profit could be there too, because let's say you monetize a $100,000 block of clients, $100,000 goes to the bottom line um, as no expense really going to those and is there as cash flow to give you runway to keep people employed, assuming you are, have a team and are trying to keep people employed or go find new people. So those are the pieces that we did 
you know, mm-hmm. you block clients, you monetize, you do a little bit at a time. Some, some have asked me, would, would you have just looking back, would you have sold the whole thing and then rebuilt? And I, I can't say that, that, that would have been a right, the right call either, because I learned so much during those transitions that shaped where we're at today and we survived. So it's, it's one of those where, um, I can't say that I'd go back either. And starting anything from scratch is pretty difficult and definitely time intensive. And at least the time that we were spending in the business, we had already been spending that time. So we already knew that mm-hmm. versus going out and starting and, you know, not, not knowing what was around the corner. You kind of had a little bit of insight. Yeah. Um, any other areas of transitioning or transforming a firm, any other areas of expectations that maybe some people cause some people to stop or quit or never start because they don't quite fully understand the time or the effort maybe that it'll take to move from that one service line to another. Yeah. And I, the, the need to transition that really needs to be evident. So don't transition your firm just because others are telling you to, and it, because it's necessary or others are telling you that you have a problem that you don't feel any pain in. If, if that, if your business is operating fine, there may not be a reason to go through the pain of a transition. There will be pain in transition. You may be okay with the firm as it operates today. And if that's okay, just continue to do what you're doing. But most people are wanting to embrace a brighter future, fewer hours, steady cash flow, stable team. And as part of that, you've got to really go through some pain to make it evident that a better future is worth changing. And um, the, the pain of staying the same is what could be holding you back, which we've talked about before. So that would really be my only thing. Like, don't go into it unless you're really prepared to invest and make the moves. Mapping it out with others who have done it before is extremely valuable. And that way, you know that your expectations going into it are kind of aligned with the timeline and results and things like that. And you can make small tweaks along the way if you aren't seeing those results like you should, or if it's just taking longer. And I think that's the other piece where just be okay with the process and realize that it is uh, about the journey and not necessarily the destination and all of that. And you'll be fine. Yeah. Well, this has been a good conversation. I think that there was a lot of, um, wisdom shared a lot of experience, um, at least from our perspective, and we're just one firm that has done it. And so um, hopefully this was helpful to somebody listening. Yeah, thanks for leading it. Thanks for hanging with us to the end of another episode. Leave us a review with your thoughts, comments, and feedback on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes. Join us again next week for another great conversation.